0: Hey guys, this is Eric. You are about to hear season one, episode one of the Plug It Up podcast. This is a thing that you probably heard about here recently on the show. It is originally the brainchild of Caitlin, who you've been hearing a bunch on BGH lately. She's been collaborating on this podcast with Elizabeth, who you'll hear on this first episode. And as you go along, you'll also hear some other people, including some familiar voices like BGH's very own Cece. The BGH crew has been helping to produce it and put it out. Uh, We heard about the idea. We loved it. We decided to make it first ever BGH production, and that's why you're hearing this now on the feed, because we wanted to try to get the word out about a project that we all really believe in. If you like what you hear, search Plug It Up in the podcast app of your choice, and don't forget to follow them on social Plug It Up Pod on both Instagram and Twitter.
1: If it's leaking, and you're freaking, plug it up.
0: Plug it up, plug it up. Hello and welcome to Plug It Up, uh, a podcast about the monstrous menstruation trope in horror. I'm your host, Caitlin. Um, as a refresher, the monstrous menstruation trope is a trope in horror where movie in movies where a character gets their period and either simultaneously or in consequence undergoes a monstrous trans- transformation of some kind. The best known examples of the trope are Carrie and Ginger Snaps, but there are lots of instances of the trope in this genre. Um, in this podcast, we talk a lot about coming of age, puberty, menstruation, and gender, Uh, And at the top here, we want to recognize and acknowledge that not all people who menstruate identify as women, and not all folks who identify as women menstruate. Um, So any general uses of she, her pronouns and discussions about women menstruating stem from the depiction of the characters on screen and aren't meant to generalize or pigeonhole um, gender or menstruation. Uh, So tonight I'm joined by Elizabeth, and we're covering sort of the the ultimate quintessential movie for this trope, Carrie. Carrie. Um, and that's also where we get the title of this podcast. Plug it up is from the scene yeah. in Carrie where they chant, plug it up at her, where she gets. So Elizabeth, how do we know one another?
1: Hello, Caitlin. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm so um, glad you're here.
1: Oh, same. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, so we know one another from the awesome Slack community, uh, that formed around the movie review podcast bloody good horror um so check that podcast out it's awesome and it also join the patreon and get on slack because you meet really cool people apparently when you <laughs> hang out there because you guys were cool people and we met there
0: i'm so hype i know that this movie means a lot to you and that you have a lot of carry thoughts so so many thoughts um, Before we get into it, I'll give a a quick sort of overview and summary. So Carrie, uh, the first one, the original came out in 1976, directed by Brian De Palma, uh, who would later go on to direct Scarface. Um, And it's based on the Stephen King novel by the same name. I think Stephen King was like 26 when he wrote Carrie, which is. It was his first novel.
1: It was his first one. It was the only novel that his wife read of his. And she, after she read that, said, you can continue writing whatever you'd like. I choose not to read it. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I read that in his
1: book on writing, which is also fabulous. Everyone read it.
0: Nice. Yeah. I was, when I was researching for this episode, I saw where I, I haven't read. Carrie, I know that you have, so we can, i count on you for sort of the uh, literary stuff. Uh, but I read some excerpts um, and I was like, Huh. Stephen King, as mm-hmm. a 26-year-old man, didn't exactly understand menstruation, but right, that's okay. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think uh, there was um, a lot of cocaine maybe involved in that period of his life. So if it's Stephen
0: King, it's lots of cocaine. We'll blame that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So Carrie stars some pretty major names, specifically Sissy Spacek, um, who's mostly known for Carrie, but this definitely launched her. Uh, Piper Laurie stars as her mother, and we get a very young John Travolta. Um, And this is sort of the quintessential monstrous menstruation movie. Um, I'd argue probably the most famous movie we'll cover on this podcast. And it's also one of the most famous horror movies of all time. Super iconic. Uh, And I'll do a quick summary and then we can get into it. But uh, the movie opens with a scene from gym class where we learn that Carrie White is very much an outsider and an outcast. She's derided by the other girls while playing volleyball, and they really seem to hate her, if only because she's a bit awkward (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. and sheltered. Uh, She doesn't really do anything to them. She's just a little weird. Uh, And we quickly cut to the locker room where we get an extended scene of Carrie showering. And while showering, she gets her first period and begins just freaking out, panicking. It's clear she has no idea what's happening to to her body, and she thinks she's dying. Uh, The other girls taunt her and throw pads and tampons at her while chanting, plug it up, plug it up. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, again, is where we get the title of the show. Um, The taunting ends when the gym teacher intervenes and Carrie, at that moment, telekinetically shatters a light. So we see her getting her first period and immediately being endowed with some powers. Um, And as the movie goes on, we learn that Carrie's mother, who is... Her only parent is extremely religious and extremely conservative, pretty much only speaks in scripture and is herself seen as very strange and outcast. Uh, certainly not the kind of mom that would tell her daughter about menstruation. Um, and we come to find out that the gym teacher uh, punishes the other girls for having bullied Carrie. One of the only, I guess, instances where we see bullies get any sort of punishment. Know, of- which is great Amen. to see. I mean, she does slap them. But it got to be women. Like,
1: of course, it's the women, I'm just
0: Yes, of course it is. (laughs) Um, But since the girls get punished, they plot revenge against Carrie. Again, Carrie didn't really do anything, but because they got in trouble for bullying her, they want to get revenge against her. And they decide to prank her by having a popular boy, Tommy, take her to the prom as a joke, where they plan to make her prom queen and dump a bucket of pig's blood on her when she wins.
1: Um, I have to talk about that, the joke aspect, because I have thoughts about that whole um, angle of the plot continue. I'm sorry.
0: No, no, you're good. I, that's definitely one of the symbols I, I really want to get into. Um, and by the time this plan to sort of douse her in pig's blood comes to fruition, Carrie's telekinesis has grown very strong. And in her humiliation, she telekinetically kills everyone at the prom. Kills um, everybody. Yeah. There are a lot of religious themes with her mom that we can unpack and a lot of symbolism that we can unpack in general. But um, Elizabeth, tell me, when did you first see Carrie?
1: Um, Okay. So I first saw Carrie. I will never forget it. And I'm sure it was edited for TV, but it uh, still totally scarred me. No, you know what? I think we actually did run it. My mom used to let me watch like a really scary movie on Halloween, like proper. So if I, I just have these memories of being like fully in costume and waiting for the neighborhood group to come around and like pick us up. And like usually standing in front of the TV, watching a VHS that we rented at Blockbuster because I was too nervous to sit, like a foot away <laughs> from it. Just like, what is happening? I love that. Oh my goodness. I'm not alone. Um, truly, it was what I was thinking. But that movie in particular, I think I was like 11 or 12. I believe I was about sixth grade. Um, very, very long before my own period. So this may be in many ways haunted me. Um, I finished it right before the group of kids came around to get us, me and my brother, yeah. and looked at my mom. and was like that scene with uh, her mother, like, crucified, essentially. Oh, gosh, I can't, like, we'll get into it, but that movie really stuck with me and the rest of the evening i just was just like fixated on it and then i found out it was a book so immediately had to go to the library and read it i haven't read it since but i do remember it being uh more graphic and more disturbing which i'm sure i was gleefully excited about at the time
0: (laughs) Well, I think I actually saw Carrie around the same age. I remember
1: mm-hmm.
0: one weekend I was uh, spending the night with uh, two best friends of mine, their sisters, and I was sort of the unofficial third sister. And I was 11, the older sister was 12, and the younger sister was 10, and their mom took us to Blockbuster. And we were in the mood for something scary. So that, week, that weekend, she rented us the original Poltergeist the original Carrie Mm -hmm. and the original Amityville horror, all of which have been remade actually. (laughs) Um, But we watched all three. Except for the Amityville. That one I could leave. That's awesome though. I mean, it was. That would be my mom. That was my mom. It fucked me up. I love horror now, obviously, but I was so Mm -hmm. afraid. And I I get messages
1: on Facebook from girls saying like, hey, remember when we rented this movie and like you ruined my life (laughs) in the sixth grade? And I'm just like,
0: hey girl, hey, sorry. You're like, no, I was hoping I did you a favor. You didn't like Dr. Giggles? That was mean, <laughs> Well, I, I just remember being so impacted by watching those three movies sort of in total that weekend, especially at 11. Oh, I I ended up getting my period when I was 11, so that was soon to follow. Um, but I'll never forget because Carrie contains, especially at the beginning, so much nudity and so much sort of mm-hmm. graphic bullying. You get. Um, I mean, a lot of movies contain blood, but not a lot of movies contain menstrual blood. So, like a lot of sort of taboo mm-hmm. stuff, right at the beginning. And I remember my friend's mom being like, "I'm. I forgot about these parts. I'm sorry." And we were That's just exactly like, "That's exactly what my
1: mom said. Oh, I totally forgot about this part. And like the plug it up. Like this will never leave my brain. How do you forget about this part?
0: Yeah, it's like the whole thing. It's the whole. It's sort of, it's
1: kind of the whole movie. But <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So this is definitely the prime example of a monstrous menstruation movie because monarchy happens, she becomes telekinetic and ultimately murderous. So what are your thoughts on the movie as a whole? We can we can get into the symbolism about periods and religion and all that stuff later on. But um, yes. what are your thoughts yes. about the movie as a whole? Do you like it? Is it a well-made movie? What are your thoughts?
1: Um, I do like it. I remember the first uh sort of like revisit to this movie i was a little bit i had the nostalgia necessary to keep it just like perfect to me but through the lens of like the present and like the movies i'd seen you know in my early 20s when i was re-watching this for the first time i was a little disappointed at um how dated it felt in some places but now as an adult we watching it like it you know of course it works every time like it's a classic i go to a lot um at the time i don't remember feeling like it was dated at all like it absolutely shocked me um but yeah i was obsessed with it because i didn't have my period yet and all my friends did and that that's what this movie was centered on and that it was well done and that it all kind of tied into her being Like, is she the villain or is her mom the villain? Like, I like that sort of, like, vague sort of, um, I don't know, like, ill-defined narrative structure where if you're just a horrible person, like, you could come out of this movie and be like, so-and-so was, like, the villain. You know, it's sort of like a worship test of, like, what your experience has been.
0: Well, and I think that's what is compelling about a lot of these movies. The the protagonist is sort of villainized, monsterified. <laughs> when they get their period, they mm-hmm. go under some sort of transformation. And Carrie does end up killing everyone at the prom and exactly. a whole you know slew of teachers, uh, even the teacher that you know sort even of stood up for actor, her.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. And but at the same time, you're rooting for her because. You know, she's been through a lot, and her life is pretty shitty. Um, and they definitely do make a big point about her being a late bloomer. Um, she mm-hmm. has no idea what's happening to her when she gets her period, and uh, when you know that cuts Thanks, to the. Pr- mom. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's lady. God. <laughs> and you know, the so principal, she's got like
1: TV, she's not reading Betty and Veronica. Like, how's no, there's no. This Are song?
0: you there, God? It's me, yeah. Margaret. For her. Yeah. No. Um, which is, Mm -hmm. it's funny. A lot of the movies that we're going to cover on this podcast have to deal with girls getting their period later than their peers and sort of, which I love because that was my experience. I will get into it. Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I love this movie. I remember thinking that it was just great. And I do think it holds up. I watched it so many times here recently mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. in preparation for the podcast, including with you, which was amazing. We
1: watched it. it was fun. Yeah.
0: It was. And I, I sissy SpaceX is just so believable as a she's got like that homeschool vibe like
1: like yeah, yes yeah yeah
0: no and I, I mean she's just so believable as this sheltered and afraid young woman and her home life is just fucking terrifying. Her mom like Mm -hmm. literally speaks in scripture. I have the quote Mm -hmm. that her mom uh, says when Carrie, um, you know, comes home from school and she's first got her period. Um, And what's really sort of significant about this quote is that it's really symbolizes a lot of sort of the Judeo-Christian and sort of general historical and cultural ideas about menstruation, that it's dirty Mm -hmm. and that it comes from sinning and that it Mm -hmm. comes from sort of original sin. So Margaret White, Carrie's mom says, Eve was weak. Say it. Eve was weak. The Lord visited Eve with the curse and the curse was the curse of blood. So it's like, it's truly coming from, you know, Carrie has sinned and that's why she's Mm -hmm. finally gotten her period her mom says, help this sinning woman, see the sin of her days and ways, show her that if she had remained sinless, this curse of blood would not have come upon her. Help this sinning woman. It's just, it's fucking crazy. I mean, that's... I mean, dude, wow. And that's, I mean, unfortunately, it's not unusual. A lot of the research I've been doing uh, no. sort of pulls in a lot of those themes that, you know, that's what happens when you turn into a woman, you immediately become sinful. It's also sort of now that Carrie has gotten her period her mom sees her as immediately sexualized and immediately um, sinful it's just wild
1: yeah yeah it's um as a single mother that relationship I mean I definitely see it like terrifyingly different now watching it with a daughter um when I was young and watching it my relationship with my mother was such that like the matricide kind of like angle to it made me so sick like that was like because my mom was like my best friend and like oh that just like because i did come from a very religious um upbringing we were catholic so the i mean like i had friends that had like prayer closets and um it wasn't that like but you didn't get locked in them for sure But like,
0: -like. a lot of the
1: iconography didn't strike me as like super unfamiliar. So there were a lot of things I felt parallel with Carrie. On and um, White was my family's name on my mom's
0: side. Um, Oh my god! For real? That's oh yeah.
1: That Uh, parallels it is crazy.
0: So one of the things that I've been seeing in my research is the idea of a a red tent. Um, It comes up in a lot of cultures, but. When a girl either first starts her period or gets her period subsequently, you know, every 28 days or so, she's required to go into seclusion of some kind of red tent where she's separated from the rest of her of her tribe, of her family. And there are a lot of reasons for that, a lot of sort of cultural taboos about women's menstruation being you know, something that's going to bring bad luck to crops or that she's going right. to contaminate her X, friends. Y, or Z food sources. So
1: Man, we are fucking powerful. Yeah, who well, knew? I mean, I
0: <laughs> but it's it's interesting <laughs> because that's such a, a dominant and prominent sort of cultural relic uh, of, you know, more traditional slash ancient cultures. But we do see it sort mm-hmm. of here. She is secluded in her oh, totally. closet, um, which is yep. wild to me that those are a thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that it's a small handful of girls. I could tell you that, like, i you just walk by their prayer closets, and you're just like, "Hey, Becky, love your prayer closet." Like, well,
0: it's it not just, like it having was, an was, altar, little, you know. I mean, we well, about I was meant to say it's
1: very much like, yes, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, there's um, so much right in ritual and sort of, oh, totally. Catholicism.
1: So it's not well, and in, in this movie as well, the like oh, yeah. sort of anointing of her by, uh, I mean you just for days could go into the symbolism religious and otherwise um one thing i do find very interesting that i also um somewhat relate to in terms of um just like the the various kind of like insidious forms of bullying one can experience that i did in school um i feel like she and many women you know in movies i'm in real life, um, are empowered by seeing a reflection of beauty, being made to feel they're beautiful by society accepting them at large, um, by them leaning into conventional ideals of beauty. They're feeling acceptance. Um, you know, that's all represented in the prom scene that we see. And like, I just remember being so young and like loving the dress and like not thinking anything of any of it until her mom starts talking about dirty pillows and business and I was like I mean I guess you could have worn a bra but like whatever um, and that's, that's not a term I had heard before Carrie <laughs> oh it's not I me neither so
0: and I've heard that they, <laughs> we so they only kind of say the it girl. once in the movie but I've heard that they say it many times in the book and by they I mean Carrie's it is very prevalent in the book
1: yes 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 she says it like pretty daily in the book um, but it's like this ideal or this idea rather of beauty being communal in some way or shared by society especially being that it is a construct and in a movie like this we see the creation of that construct and the sort of inflation of her self-acceptance um in setting up this like joke the the whole thing with the Chris versus Sue character um which I think also is very telling of sort of the duality of everything, like all the symbolism is sort of this like childlike innocence versus um, threatening sexuality and womanhood, like the red and the blue. There's just lots of that sort of um, poise to kind of like, I think, get you in that headspace.
0: Well, and we really see Carrie's development. I mean, we see her as very, very innocent, uh, naive, in fact, and Mm -hmm. her development you know, biologically, she's getting her period, she's going through menarche. And, you know, we also see her develop a sense of sort of competence, partly because she's moving things with her mind and reading Mm -hmm. books from the library about how she has this power, you know, power symbolically Mm -hmm. and power quite literally. And then she also, you know, we see her getting ready for prom, she makes her prom dress, and we see her sort of develop both um emotionally, physiologically, and sort of um, romantically. And mm-hmm. I mean I think that's part of what I mean it's a horrible thing what happens to her. And I think that's part of the emotional impact is that we see we're really rooting for Carrie as I mean I am. I know that you are too oh, and I would of think course, most are. Of
1: course. I and, was Carrie. Like, yeah. Yeah.
0: And yeah, the the dumping of the blood, I mean it's just You know, I I was trying to think of sort of like, oh, is it supposed to be like a baptism of blood? Right. But like, she, I mean, that scene, I think you had mentioned that you had some thoughts on it about sort of that bullying and that prank and how terrible it was. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So,
0: um, yeah,
1: that whole scene. And I mean, it's so crazy to think of a time or place where you didn't know that was coming, but I did, you know, you. You didn't. I didn't. The first time I saw it, um, yeah. and that happened. And you just feel because I mean they do very classically kind of set up the like musical cues and shot angles and like everything is telling you. Well, it's telling you if you're an informed horror viewer to be very afraid. It's yeah. telling the audience at large be very comfortable. This is nice. She's happy. You know, look how great this is. Um,
0: Well, we've got those like swirling shots where she's in love with—well, not in love—and she's prom queen, and she's prom queen, and they're dancing, and you know, I think it's really believable. And we talked about how it is, yeah. You know, we—I'd like to hope that Tommy does. He know
1: it's a joke. I don't feel like he knows he's doing this.
0: It's one of those things where I feel like Sue and Tommy were in on it. Like, yeah, we know that our friend like really hates Carrie. Whatever, we'll we'll do this. But I. I would hope that Tommy wasn't aware that they were going to full-on dump Peg's blood on her because he, he has a moment where he yeah. reacts pretty... Yes, he uh, does. Forcefully. Okay, so my
1: theory, because of... And I don't watch all over Riverdale. I do watch their, like, covers, for lack of a better term, of, like, musicals mm-hmm. um, that they do, which has been kind of interesting. Um, also, the fact that Carrie is a musical that exists is interesting. Never um, seen it, would love to. <laughs> Dude, it came to Memphis and I didn't go And you could get tickets that were in the Splash Zone, which was oh the first God. three rows I had to work, I was so like, mad Fucking get um, <laughs> Dude, I would oh, be there in a minute So, but like in the musical And of course that's like an, an adaptation It's In song form, made very clear that um, There were separate Sort of motives and that mm. Sue and Tommy were like Let's do her a solid and like I'll stay home and like you go with her and that Chris saw this as an opportunity to kind of like lambast or like to take over humiliate, at some point. So I hope I like to believe that um, Sue and Tommy remained in the sun in that
0: craziness. I mean, it's terrible. I, uh, and one thing that's, I mean, in horror, you and I are both horror people and in general for the genre, we see a lot of blood um, mm-hmm. and obviously we get a lot of pig's blood here, but one thing that I really like about Carrie is how much, and this out of context sounds a little strange, but how much menstrual blood we actually get to see, uh, yes. and how realistic it is. Uh, I think you were talking about the shower scene being, taboo. Very, it's super taboo. And I mean, like, yeah. I, I think one of my favorite moments is, so when she gets her period, the girls start throwing pads and tampons at her, plug it up, plug it up, mm-hmm. whatever, The gym teacher rushes in to sort of calm Carrie down, help her and stop the bullying. But in doing so, the gym teacher is wearing white shorts and Carrie's got blood on her fingers and she mm-hmm. sort of grabs the teacher for support and she, the gym teacher has uh, menstrual blood on mm-hmm. her white shorts. And later the right. gym teacher's in the principal's office talking to him about what happened. And you can sort of see this like visceral reaction on the principal's face at the Ooh, menstrual blood. Oh, that
1: moment hit me when I saw that the first time, like as a young girl, like I just remember being like, that's your worst fear. Is that like, you leave a room where somebody's like comforting you, and then go somewhere else, and is like, "Ew, this person." Like, yeah. in any way, I want you to be either an ally or not, and I want that to be clearly defined so that I know who to go to. And so that always, there's lots of horror elements in this movie. One of which, and not the least of which, is that uh, all the social implications of the things that we get to see behind the scenes going on. In the lives of the people around her and like how the distaste for her as arbitrary as it was developed into this like groupthink, mass bullying kind of um, just horrible experience for her that I actually experienced something not too dissimilar from when I was in um, the eighth grade, there was an incident I was like pulled out of school and like finished uh via correspondence went to a new school after that but it was like a it was like a grade-wide bullying campaign for I don't know what else to call it um about my being a lesbian which was only half true they didn't even really <laughs> get it right um it was very intense and very thought out and executed very well uh but it was the only time I went to like I went to all-girls school after that so that was my co-edic experience and it was not good Um, yeah, that it's, it is a little like, it stings a little seeing that play out on screen. And we do see that often now, I think in today's, um, the like sort of commentary on bully culture, if you've experienced it, it can be. It can be a lot like that. Well, and I,
0: I think that some people would, you know, I guess if they hadn't experienced it, think like, oh, this would never be a thing exactly. and this is not, or this is over the top, but This is kind of how it plays out sometimes, and it does play in. Girl, there were
1: flyers in everybody's locker at the place I went to eighth grade saying Lesbo Rugburn because they called me Liz. Anyway, like it was a whole damn thing. Like I was seriously floored because I didn't talk to anybody. All I wanted was to disappear. Right. It was like, I was like, Setting fires on the front lawn, or like stomping (laughs) on the flag, like trying to get people's attention. I just wanted to like have a hole open up and swallow me. So it shocked me, much like Carrie, like that I would even be the target of anybody's anything.
0: Right, and I think you know Carrie is just desperately trying to not be present. You know, she's yeah. She said before, like yeah, she doesn't want to be noticed anyway, and. You know, we have some of her biggest fears, like, you know, there's a lot of comments about, you know, they're going to laugh at me, mama, or they laughed at me, and mm-hmm, her mom mm-hmm. is, doesn't want her to go to prom because they're all going to laugh at you, as she says in her exactly. voice. But, and also, you know, there is a lot of fear. A lot of girls, I did for sure have the fear before I started my period that I was going to get up from my seat one day and have, you know, a blood stain on my butt or something, you know, and we, we get that for Carrie. I mean, like she gets it in the shower, but at oh, the yeah. same time, it's, it's very public, it's humiliating. And it's compounded by the humiliation of being like very publicly bullied. So it's just like, it really encapsulates a lot of fears. Oh
1: man. It really is just like a soup of like, just awfulness and like, I mean, especially if you're young, especially if you're a young girl watching this, just I mean, it's horrifying, all of it. And it, that it's like women on women. It's the mother against daughter. It's her like peers against her. Like we don't really have the patriarchy to point to in this. It's sort of the matriarchy, if you will, by way of evangelical fundamentalist religion, which is <laughs> right. fully patriarchal. But yeah. <laughs> it is interesting how like this landscape in this film is there's just a complete lack of... Um, Almost even like male agency, the girls kind of go to the guys and are like, hey, do this. It is just so sickening to me, like all the parts that do show any kind of violence in this movie. They're kind of spare like and, and sparse, but like they're very effective in that the intent behind them is monstrous. And the sort of carrying out of the act is just very swift and like thoughtless. I don't know. Yeah, that
0: always stuck with me. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. It's brutal. Um, There were a couple of other themes and symbols I wanted to talk about, uh, one of which was repression. We've kind of touched on the religion. Um, Obviously, it comes up a lot with Carrie's mom, and it came up with a lot of sort of the symbols. But repression, being sort of a sub theme of that, you know, Carrie is repressed by her mother, and she also seems to repress, pretty figuratively or excuse me, literally her her feelings until they boil over and the telekinesis takes over. And we also see that Margaret, her mom, is repressed. She talks about having repressed uh, sort of sexual feelings with Carrie's right. dad until they both, again, it boiled over and they gave in. And I oh, think that. It's very rough. And I think that that's also a theme that we see with sort of coming of age stories or any sort of puberty feelings. There's so much, you know, there are so many things that girls or anyone in that position try to repress. And then it all bubbles over into teenage stuff
1: <laughs> rage and, you know, screaming and crying all night. Um, being a teenage girl is so fun. Uh, you're, no, you're so right. Like this, and this movie just, I feel like it is both a representation and commentary on how we view all of what, like all of that. Um, and I mean, I think that's for many reasons, you know, obviously written by a man, um, directed by a man, which is interesting. I feel like uh, it is interesting because as a person who got their, their period late and felt, very very awkward about it like i remember lying to a friend of mine i called her one summer just to see what the conversation would feel like it was like kind of like one of those friends that was like on the third level of like, we're yeah. not like running of the mall or <laughs> and i was like hey girl um i just had to call and tell somebody i got my area today that <laughs> had not and just had this whole conversation with her play acting like i was in the club like it was mm-hmm. such a big deal to me This like badge of honor that i hadn't Earned somehow yet, so I just kept smoking those Camel cigarettes, waiting for it to come. But uh, <laughs> finally, did, and it was not quite as traumatic as Carrie. Thank God. But um yeah, the the religious sort of slant to this is fascinating to me as well. And um, you know, obviously, it's very rich in symbolism yeah. there. It's just good. That's great.
0: I think one of my favorite symbols, um, and this is partly due to the research I've been doing for the show, but when Carrie gets home from the prom, she's obviously soaked in blood. Her dress is soaked, her hair is soaked, mm-hmm. her body is stained. Um, and she comes home and she takes a bath. And it's, it's not super ritualistic in the movie, but there are a lot of ritual baths, sort of anthropologically speaking, around periods. Um, in ancient mm-hmm. Islamic cultures, it was called ghusl, I believe is how it's pronounced, G-H-U-S-L. Uh, where people, where women will bathe ritualistically after their period ends in order to make themselves clean and presentable again uh, for their husbands. And in certain sects of Judaism, uh, it's called the mikvah, M I K V A H. And that's, again, where a woman ritualistically bathes um, after this experience to sort of get rid of, I guess, those period cooties and, <laughs> and ready to take mm-hmm. on the world All again as nasty. a queen. Yeah. Yes. um clean in quotation marks, of
1: course, but which is so interesting to me because that also is like that just can't help. You cannot help but remind you of a baptism, the bath right. element of it,
0: right? And at the same time, it's like you know Carrie's mom immediately projects onto her that she's now a. Sinner. Oh, she doesn't have you a know? chance. Yeah, with that mom, mm-hmm. she's immediately a center. Uh, you know, by virtue also, of just having it. her period. And she's Mm -hmm. about to be promiscuous just in Carrie's mom's eyes because she's, I guess, of that age. So it's really this, it's hard. Well, and and that's what the principal and Miss Collins say. Like, it's hard to believe that in in, quote unquote this day and age, this day and age being 1976 for the time, um, that a girl that age wouldn't know about her period. And well, but
1: it's also about control, right? With the mother because she wants such ultimate control over Carrie. Of course, she wouldn't tell her something like that because she wants anything representing any type of forward movement to be confusing to her and to be very overwhelming and scary and for her to be the savior telling her they're all yeah they are all gonna laugh at you
0: right
1: and they do and that's what I hate I always hated about this movie was that you want some redemptive art for like you just don't want her mom to be right
0: of course and every
1: time I see it I'm always like oh and then like it's it's this horrible lady who like by the worst motives and for the worst reasons trying to instill this fear in a sort of like invisible fence around her daughter. And she was right. And like, yeah. that is kind of what happened.
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's a really well shot scene. So Carrie, you know, we get this sort of slow motion, build up to where the blood drops mm-hmm. on her. And then it's very quiet. Obviously the students in the, or it's not the assembly the prom, the students go super quiet when Carrie is sort of doused in the blood. And before they start laughing, we hear Carrie's internal thoughts of her mom and she can hear her mom's voice saying, they're all going to laugh mm-hmm. at you. And, okay. you know, we just sort of see her dissociating and panicking. Yep. And then the kids start, you know, we can hear the kids laughter and then mm-hmm. she telekinetically starts fucking it up, which is so, Blame. you know, Literally. empowering. <laughs> it's also, it's very
1: cathartic. It's very, yes. um, it feels good as the viewer to see her just like level these assholes. Like, mm-hmm. especially if you're somebody who in any way identifies with her, it's a very inglorious bastard revisionist history. Like go back to your high school days and like just burn it to the ground kind of yeah. catharsis. But like, um. Yeah, she straight up murders, like, a lot of folks. And like we were saying earlier, it's not just the people that were mean to her. Like, and that sort of represents to me, like, women may not even know the strength of Mm -hmm. the danger of this power. Like, if unleashed, it could be innocents that get, you know, caught in the crossfire. You know, it's just, it is interesting. And, and then of course the, the finals. I mean, we can go there when we want to, but I think that reinforces a lot of the same things we're talking about. Um, where it was somebody trying to help her that gets that final crazy grab. moment, and,
0: <laughs> and that, course, that, you know, that moment that, scared the mm, shit out of me as an eleven. Girl. Holy like, jump scare! She goes. Girl. So, those of you that might uh, have maybe haven't seen Carrie in a while, uh, what happens at the end is Carrie and her mother die in the house together. uh, Carrie sort of telekinetically sends knives and other utensils flying into her mom Mm. and they're uh, not (laughs) unironically in the same shape of the arrows that are slung into the statue of Jesus that they have in their house. So her mom is very much
1: crucified. Yeah, she's
0: crucified in the doorframe. She's got her sort of hands Mm. pinned with knives. And um, so Carrie's mom started attacking her. Carrie responds by telekinetically crucifying her mom And then, you know, you get this big wave of Carrie's guilt and Carrie, whether she is in control of it or not, you know, we're not really sure of her intentions, but the house caves in upon them together and they both die. And later we see Sue go to lay flowers at the sort of, you know, crumbled White household, and then Carrie's hand comes up through the rubble and grabs Sue, and that moment scared the mm-hmm. shit out of me as a child. I was just like, "Dude, and it's got that '70s. To help.
1: Oh, it's got that '70s music cue to jump scare, like, yes. I mean, it's horrifying, and I, I don't believe I'd seen. No, I'm pretty sure I hadn't seen Friday the Thirteenth yet. Um, so I had that waiting for me, and my teacher knowingly as well. That <laughs> final scene. This one, though, like. I always felt okay so I don't dislike it I do feel like it like really reinforces the idea of care like that Carrie is uh monstrous in some Mm -hmm. way and still the boogeyman and still going to scare you and still going to get you and like uh it's this person who kind of tried to to bridge a gap with her um which i think kind of represents the viewer like we're
0: yeah yeah looking for a a
1: reason absolutely like we're looking for a reason to connect with her and even till the last minute of this film it's like boo like women are gonna fucking scare you dude like it's just gonna happen
0: well it's rough because i feel like we're rooting for carrie for so much of the film and she is a victim you know pretty clearly given the the bullying and The harassment, and she's also the bad guy, and that's that's an interesting position that I think a lot of teenagers, girl, boy, you know, however you Mm -hmm. identify, that's how a lot of people feel. They feel both like the bad guy and like the victim as a teenager, and you know, I feel like that's very representative of just sort of those teenage feelings. When I couldn't help feeling
1: too while we're watching this um, in today's completely online social media absorb like but that's how we exist especially in quarantine her reaction could be achieved without powers like you can just like set fire to somebody online as we've seen through Mm -hmm. various other awesome examples and not so awesome examples in film Mm -hmm. um But, like, that's so much easier to do now. It's not like you have to be haunted or a Stephen King character. Like, you can just (laughs) pretty much start a campaign to ruin somebody and you may succeed. Um, Mm -hmm. And when you've got the emotional intelligence that you do in high school, that's a pretty dangerous weapon. So, yeah, like, the victim versus um, persecutor kind of,
0: I don't know. It's a weird dichotomy. it, It is. But I, I just feel like I'll always root for Carrie because... Oh, of course, yeah. You know, you just want it to happen. And, and you had a very cool Carrie costume, didn't you, dress as Carrie? A, a oh, I was. Yes.
1: Yeah, so I was Carrie... Um, what year was that? Who knows? It was like before the world was different and we went to bars and stuff. <laughs> um, I found it was... So I usually started very early working on my costume I found the perfect, like, slip dress. My hair was actually the length, sort of, it needed to be in blonde. Um, I got a tiara. I had the flowers. I mean, like, I studied. I was, like, accurate. I should have oh, entered it it. into some online things because I won second prize at this bar. And here's what I lost, too. And I will never not be salty about this. There was a 90-year-old lady there who came as a one-night stand. Oh, my Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's just like a table and you yeah. have like a lamp on your head. And there was like a condom and a drink. She just got it because she was cool. old and came to the <laughs> bar and did shots. And I was like, you guys, look at me. I had somebody stand on my car trunk and dump an actual bucket of fake blood. I bought in like gallon form. I was going to say, you I mean, probably know need a ton of yeah, that. Blood. Because I wanted it to be like wet and like yeah. fresh because you wouldn't know otherwise. All pictures, unfortunately occur about four hours into the night after like a dance contest and who knows what else um it's very much like caked on bad effects i wish i had gotten some fresh pictures it was it was rad it was probably my best costume
0: it sounds great i've always wanted to do a convincing carrie costume and one cool thing speaking of caked on and and dried versus wet blood i did read that care that sissy spacek so it took them three days to shoot the prom scenes and her getting home before she takes a bath, so Sissy Spacek slept in that blood so that they could reapply it every day in the same sort of consistent manner, so that the, so that the, mm. the shots had continuity, which I think is so impressive, and that's very very dedicated because that shit has to be sticky.
1: She was really disassociating if that was that. <laughs> like she was going somewhere else and just being like zen AF about this because that it is so itchy and so mm, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to sleep. Her
0: performance in general is just so, so good. I mean, (laughs) I love this, you know, when she's sort of engaging with her telekinesis and setting fire to things and, you know, fucking people up, killing them at the prom. Susie Spacek has a very sort of passive, uh, beautiful Mm -hmm. face and doesn't register a lot of emotion before this other than sort of, naivete fear and confusion and then when she's engaging with her telekinesis and killing people her eyes get enormous and focused and concentrated so Sissy Spacek I mean kudos to her for sleeping in the blood kudos to her for pulling that off because she really sells that moment I love
1: it thank you for bringing this character to life like I this will always just be you know one of the iconic movies that probably too young I saw and just stuck with me like in a visceral way for obvious reasons, Um, you know, being female. But yeah, that was my introduction to her as an actress as well. And I, you know, obviously continued to be just blown away by her. She's really awesome.
0: She is. And I'm really glad that we both saw this so young. I, I feel like it's not referenced as much anymore now that we're, you know, however many years removed from 1976. But I really am glad that I saw this before getting sort of like either Simpsons or Looney Tunes, like those sort of things. I was fortunate
1: in that I was fortunate in that my mom did kind of introduce me early enough to just like the classics that same, it wasn't ruined through Domino pizza commercials (laughs) for me. Like, <laughs> I got to see it in its like sort of pure form, which is that's rare, I think, and especially you know for now, I don't know that it would happen. We've got so much right. cultural reference to these iconic roles, and yeah, it's a gem of a movie. I just, I just love it.
0: I do too. and I, I knew awesome. you did, and that's why I was so happy that you that you wanted to do this episode with me.
1: I also um, love carried to the rage. Just FYI, it's like a weird like random movie that i would put on to like take a nap to in the summer and uh always end up staying up to watch it
0: Um, so i really need to see that i i would love to have you back on to to cover carrie too and i love that it's called the rage i haven't seen it yet but one thing i mean i i love that carrie taps into and is very much in control of What's happening to her. One thing that I don't love about the Carrie remake, and I haven't seen it since it was in theater. So, you know, eventually when we get cover the 2013 Carrie remake, we can get into it. But in that movie, when she's having the blood scene, whatever, her powers seem to overtake her. Whereas in the original 1976 Carrie, she's very much in control of her powers and what she's doing. And I love that because you want to see Carrie get angry. You want to see her react. And I love the idea. Specifically this
1: character, you don't want her to be overwhelmed by herself. Like I feel like the point of her in the story is, I mean, she's the one that we see reach the apex of control and like Mm -hmm. she finds comfort in it. So for it to be, I totally agree with you on that remake. Like I didn't, the feeling was so different with yeah, that I didn't want her to be
0: that. overwhelmed by it I wanted her to be in control of it and right and I love so I haven't seen the rage carry too but I love that the word rage is used because yeah. that's what rage. we I mean I feel like that's what a lot of us wanted
1: I'm sure it ages fabulously from when it came <laughs> we're really gonna have a lot
0: 99 I think is when that came out so a problematic match. so bad so bad yeah Well, um, before we get into sort of general horror and period talk, did you have any other Carrie thoughts before we moved on?
1: I mean, I feel like we really kind of uh, said some stuff about it. I think it's very interesting um, that that's one of the movies or stories in general that has prevailed enough to be um, sort of reinvented in this like catchy musical theater type of way. I don't know how I feel about that. With these, like Heather's, also has the same treatment. I, right. I love musical theater, so that part of me is just like in in for it, you know. There. Same. Um, but then it's like these stories to see people being like, and then we're done. Like it's just like <laughs> there's no creeping factor to it. Like you just kind of can't do both. Well, and, um, and it's funny because Rusty horror, horror is the has closest I've seen. I don't know right,
0: and horror has so much camp to it, and I love campy horror. Yes. But it's. I wonder if because it's Carrie, uh, a high school girl, and if it's Heather's high school girls, that, that's why it lends mm-hmm. itself to musical form. I, I'm. You I'm might just not right. sure yeah. we would have gotten anything like that from Amityville Horror, from Amityville, yeah, <laughs> any know. of the others. So I mean, coming <laughs> of age stories, like I get it. They're, they make for for fun musicals, but the content is for these movies, and the the tone really isn't fun heavy. for Carrie. It's heavy no. shit. So. Yeah,
1: that's really interesting. Yeah, that glossiness is sort of the Riverdaleization of <laughs> a lot of these adaptations of things that were so just such touchstones from my youth. I both enjoy with like a weird amount of glee, like I listen to those episodes, the soundtracks from it, because I'm I'm just interested in the subject matter, yeah, and I'm repulsed by this like chewed up, spit out bubblegum version of something I feel needs to be you know really handled with care and like treated like it has weight in in the horror community or in the film community so I don't know yeah it is what it is and there's and time then, for fun yeah sing about Carrie it's fine
0: and at the same time we want her to rage. so
1: <laughs> I mean she's going to so just batten down the she's like this movie I can't <laughs> wait it's really one of my favorites <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh okay so I have some other questions um one of which had you thought about this trope much before I forced it upon you
1: <laughs> Yes, I had um so just a whole slew of movies that I really connected with over the years as I continued being a horror fan and just whatever I could get my hands on um specifically like Jennifer's Body mm. um Is one of my like I that's a go to for me for like girl horror. Um, Teeth was another one.
0: Teeth is so with the body
1: horror. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Raw
0: is another one recently. Raw.
1: Gender snaps. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So I kind of discovered most of those in their first wave of popularity, and not really knowing like what I was getting into with a lot of it. Um, And I really, I just, I love. anything that's like an allegory for like cannibalism being an allegory for uh, right. Like consumption of, of the mind or body. I Mm -hmm. love they blend these movies. Some of them so artfully blend so many sort of nuanced commentaries on like the female experience and mental illness or, and, um, abuse in family settings. And like, yeah. it, it's a neat side door into a lot of issues I think would be hard to access otherwise. And you get it from the point of view of a person who is both vulnerable and ends up being the bad guy, boogie man, so to speak. So, um, yeah. it's always been a fascinating sub genre for me. Um, I'm really glad that you're doing this podcast about it.
0: Thank you. Yeah. I feel like, you know, most of us, you know, um, most people that identify as girls, not all of them, obviously, can relate to the experience of getting their first period, and if not, that can relate to the experience of sort of coming of age. So, you know, I love mm-hmm. the movies that touch on this directly. Carrie is the big one. Gender Snaps is another one, and you know, there are some movies like The Witch that sort of mention in passing wow. that Thomas and got her first period. There are movies that don't really touch on periods, but do have this sort of Monstrous coming of age of girls in particular, and I'm just so excited to explore them. Um, it's ah, gonna be dope. It's so good. It's so good. Um, and I mean, we've talked about the patriarchy, and that's probably the best answer to this question. <laughs> but what do you think <laughs> it's makes crazy. it is? It really is. <laughs> what do you think makes this trope <laughs> enduring? Like, what do you think makes people afraid of periods? What makes people afraid of girls becoming women?
1: Um, you know, I think it is definitely a fear of the unknown because men can't experience it. Um, it is, you know, historically been viewed as unclean for obvious reasons, because the body is expelling something that we perceive as, you know, being associated with sickness or, um, injury or, you know, that all, to me, there's a pretty clear through line on why people think they have some stuff to say about that. Yeah. Um, I'm very glad it's been subverted into genre form where we're able to explore just really like sort of gender identity, coming of age as a con, like as an idea and what that means culturally, like depending on who you are, where you are, um, by this unified experience that is biological that I yeah. think just to... Also, just to be really frank, like, I think it, like, scares dads. Like, I think it's, like, (laughs) something that, like, (laughs) it's just a very primal, like, this means something very concrete. And I don't know that everybody trusts the girl that it's happening to, to be able to handle both the trauma of it as it's perceived Mm -hmm. and what it means moving forward for her as a woman so to speak. So um, yeah. we were fascinated. We're, we're, we're terrified. It's just a, <laughs> it's a topic worth discussing. I think.
0: It is. And it's, you know, I feel like it's a time or when it's at least perceived as a time where girls are sort of, you know, signifying that this is the time when they're going to become in control of their sexuality. Mm-hmm. And that's scary to a lot of people, scary to oh, the yeah. patriarchy that, you know, for, whatever reason dad or whoever was in control of this woman and now she's got her period and she's more or less in control of herself until she, you know, gets married and then is under the control of her husband, at least, you know, sort of historically. So it's, Mm. it's wild. I love it. That's right. Um, Do you have any fun period stories that you would like to share?
1: Okay. So yes, I do. I dated this um, very nice gentleman in high school. Um, It was, so I was, like I said, a very late bloomer and I knew what, you know, I was not a carry situation where I was like, I'm dying. (laughs) I was like all over that crop, like encyclopedia, I look any way I could look it up. Like, what does it feel like? Does your boob feel like this before? Do you (laughs) sneeze more the week before you get it? Like I wanted to know. Um, But yeah, I was like kind of an obsession of mine. Um, I was not ready when I did get it because it was so late i was at my grandmother's house like it wasn't a big dramatic deal or anything but i remember that sort of set the tone i mean if you knew me it would make sense um i'm really early to things but that kind of set the tone of like my personal experience with getting my period i waited so long for it that like to this day like i'll just be out and be like why do i never have a tampon why, like, I know this is going to happen. I can even do math to see, like, when it's going to happen. And like, I'm caught unawares far too often to be the age that I am. Um, one of the times that happened, though, I was eating dinner at said boyfriend's house. Um, they were very wealthy, I was not. And we were having some type of holiday de- dinner with the extended family. And his mother had just that day, we had helped unpack these, like, um, they were like Queen Elizabeth wing back something oh, reupholstered. They're very expensive, very tiny little chairs oh, that went with this whole like suite of furniture she had in her dining room. I had my like black velvet dress on. I'm sure I had like a cameo choker. I was like fresh and fly. I feeling great. That. I was a woman. I had just gotten my period like the year before. Oh my God, I was feeling it. And I was, I'm sure it was like making everybody laugh like this is going great his family really did like me they were very sweet but um then I felt it you know feeling like I know exactly what just happened and I knew in that moment there was no mistaking that it was like fully through all layers Mm -hmm. and onto this chair which was like a a pastel lavender upholstery fabric that once again was like from France from some year that Oh my God. I was mortified. Seriously. It was a whole thing. His mom had to like come comfort me. And like, oh. I could tell it was like one of those small moments too, where she was like, it's fine. It's, it's totally fine. And like trying to convince <laughs> herself. And I was like, I can, <laughs> I can hear that it's not. I'm so sorry. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <That's such laughs> and a and a sister Had to give me
0: like a start. It was just, Oh, was oh man. Yeah. That's a, that's a familiar feeling. If anyone <laughs> Who is listening menstruates or has menstruated that feeling where it's like, oh, yep, yep, that's I know what just happened. Yeah. (laughs) And then
1: you have to like plot your next move because it involves getting up.
0: Right. It's like, can I carry this? Guys can talk to me
1: all day about their boners and their (laughs) notebooks. That shit is hard to hide. Yeah. Okay. And you leave a trail. So (laughs) CSI is just like on my seat. So (laughs) yeah. A notebook's not gonna do it.
0: No, you, you no.
1: basically have to alert the whole room that you're not dying. And I'm sorry, I ruined your furniture. <laughs> yeah, sorry.
0: <laughs> sorry. <Couldn't help> it. <laughs> well, I do have some cool fe- uh, period facts to round us out. Um, Level. The first one, um, the word menarche has come up a lot. And that's one that we're going to use a lot on the podcast. And menarche is the onset of menstruation. So first period. So that's a a vocab word that we'll be using a lot for the show. Um, And then the second one is fucking wild. So (laughs) there's this idea historically that the uterus had been blamed for all ailments in women. So whether it was a physical ailment or aberrant behavior, um, if a patient was sick with an illness of the throat, for instance, a lot of ancient Mm -hmm. physicians thought the uterus had wandered into the throat and was causing habit, havoc. So it's, mm-hmm. it's called the wandering uterus theory. Seems um, legit. Yeah, seems legit. So they would, you know, so they thought that the uterus was the cause of all problems in women. So if they had a sore throat, the uterus had wandered into the throat. If they had a stomach issue, the uterus had wandered into the stomach. If they had poor behavior or something, the uterus had somehow affected the brain. And um, then they
1: made Valium. And we're just like,
0: yeah. <laughs> they were like, it's better. Threw it at them, like. So what they would do in order to treat this wandering uterus, um, they'd have women ingest noxious substances in order to drive the uterus back down um, mm-hmm. and out of the throat or stomach or wherever it was ailing them. And mm-hmm. alternatively, would put sweet smelling substances like flowers and, and things like that on the vulva to oh coax it back into place. Um, like it's for it. Like, it's a tapeworm, just, like, floating, wandering through your body, call, like, causing yeah. problems. Um, well, come here. Come back. And then the kicker. Uh, so ancient Greeks wholeheartedly believed that this wandering uterus went on these internal rampages throughout the body in frantic search of what else but babies.
1: Oh, of course. <laughs> Jeez <laughs>
0: So the next time I have a headache or the next time I'm in a bad mood, I'm just going to blame it on my uterus, just wandering through my body. Just
1: wandering. Maybe she's depressed. It's been really like crappy weather. She's (laughs) just looking for a baby girl. She's just like, obviously I need a baby. Every
0: time my Crohn's flares up, I put some flowers on my vulva apparently. And it'll just get back to sleepover. (laughs) <laughs> uh well, any other thoughts or uh things you'd like to plug before we hop off?
1: Oh, I just had such a fabulous time. I just want to thank you again for having me um, and tell you how excited I am about this venture of yours and how proud I am of you because I think it's a fabulous idea. You're the sweetest. Um, you're the sweetest. Um so yeah, every once in a while I will wander in on Thor's Hour of Thunder uh as sabrina the teenage bitch which is my favorite favorite nickname ever um and i've had a lot so that's really the only other thing i'm doing right now um i am on instagram at jane don't you know her that's my awesome. username there it's just some spooky content i need to post more um frequently but uh
0: yeah you can find me awesome I'm Yeah, when this goes up, and it'll go up in a little while, but once once it's up, I'll tag you in it so that you can you can share. And I'd love to have you back on for Carry Two, the Rage, Carry Two, and many other things. So, um, you know, if you have other stuff you want to plug next time, we will do that then. But I really appreciate you being on. You are the best.
1: Oh, thank you so much. You are the best, and I love the way your brain works. This has just been so much fun.
0: Well, likewise. All right, spooky bleeding. Bye, guys. Bye bye. Plug It Up up was created, hosted, researched, and executive produced by me, Caitlin Grant. Creative support, audio engineering, and post production were provided by Eric Newell. Creative support and thematic direction were provided by Elizabeth Kyle. The Plug It Up theme song was written and performed by Elizabeth Kyle and produced and mixed by Eric Newell. Art design, including the logo, is by Darren Heinerman. And I want to give special thanks to John Schnars and the Bloody Good Horror crew. I'd also like to give thanks to the guests, my family, and friends for their support and encouragement. Plug It Up is a Bloody Good Horror production.